Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. The children of the 80s are back with another classic from our childhood. I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. And for this episode, we are reviewing 1982's masterpiece, Conan the Barbarian. Directed by John Milius, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Earl Jones, Max von Sydow, and Red Sonia herself, Senda Hallbergman. But before... Not- Red- yeah. What? Is she not She's Red not Sonia? Red- no, Bridget Nielsen was Red Sonia. Oh, well, what was she in Red uh, Sonia then? I think she played like the the witch or the the, oh. the sorceress or something. I don't know. She was the villain. Oh, I can't keep these eighties uh, blondes straight. <laughs> uh, but before we begin with our already off to a good start podcast, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by. Fulsa Doom's Wheel of Pain Fitness Regimen. Fellas, do you feel like your life is going in circles? Does your girlfriend look at perfectly pumpitude dudes and then look at you only to realize she's cuddling up with a little girly man? Then pump yourself up with Thursla's Doom's Wheel of Pain Fitness Regimen. Whether it's rain, snow, sleet, or hail, Our 20-year program will spin you right round until you're the muscular man you always knew you could be. That's Thursla Doom's Wheel of Pain Fitness Regimen. Crush your enemies, drive them before you, and hear the lamentation of the women who will never be able to take the pleasures of your serpent. Patrick, uh, do you have a brilliant summary for this, as I've already stated, masterpiece? Correct. It is best in life. But as the film begins, Conan is a young boy that lives in a small village with his blacksmith father and his warrior-like mother. Conan's father teaches him the riddle of steel, an aphorism on the importance of the metal to their people, the Sumerians. One day, the Sumerian village is attacked by a group of raiders led by Thulsa Doom. Most of the Sumerians are killed, including, including Conan's mother and father. Thulsa Doom takes Conan's father's sword as a prize. Conan and the other surviving children are taken and sold into slavery at a large mill known as the Wheel of Pain because everything in this fucking movie has to have a formal title. Conan spends the next 20 years working on the wheel and develops into an extremely muscular man. An adult Conan is eventually sold to a new master who trains Conan to be a gladiator. And by training, he throws him into a fucking pit and has him fight for his sur- mere survival. He is trained in hand-to-hand combat and, u- and the use of weapons. Conan wins many fights and is taken for additional training and education in the East, as well as being put out for stud. Ultimately, Conan's master frees him. An emancipated Conan is soon chased by a pack of wild dogs while on the frontier. 
he accidentally falls into an Atlantean colonist warrior tomb where he recovers an ancient sword. Afterwards, Conan wanders the world. He initially encounters a witch in a hut who attempts to seduce him, but Conan kills her before she succeeds. He also encounters and befriends, and I'm going to mess his name, Subatai, a Hikarian thief and archer. Conan follows the advice of the witch, and he and Subatai go to the city of Zamora to seek out doom. Along the way, they encounter a female warrior thief named Valeria. The trio decide to break into the Tower of the Serpent, the main headquarters of a cult that worships snakes, including a giant one that protects a priceless jewel called the Eye of the Serpent. They steal the eye, but Conan and Subutai are forced to kill the giant snake to escape. After escaping the tower, the thieves trade in their goods and begin to celebrate. Conan and Valeria have sex with each other and begin to have a relationship. Not long after, the city guards capture the trio and bring them before King Osric. King Osric is impressed with Conan and his friends for the brazenness of their theft and asks them to rescue his daughter, Princess Yasmina, from the brainwashing of Thulsa Doom. King Osric offers them a great reward if they accomplish the task. Subutai and Valeria tell Conan that they do not wish to take on the quest. However, Conan is motivated by vengeance for the deaths of it. However, Conan is motivated by vengeance for the deaths of his parents. Conan leaves his friends behind and sets out for Doom's Temple of Set, also known as the Mountain of Power. That place has two fucking names. Along the way, Conan encounters and befriends Akiro, the Wizard of the Mounds, who lives on a burial site for warriors and kings. Conan enters Doom's Temple disguised as a priest, but he is quickly discovered and captured. He is briefly tortured before he is brought before Doom himself. The cult leader lectures Conan on the power of flesh and demonstrates his power by directing a young girl to take her own life by jumping from a large height. Conan defies Doom and fails to convert. Doom has Conan crucified on the Tree of Woe. Oh my God, I just, just reading it, it's like how many places have to have such a fucking elaborate t title? <laughs> they Crucified on a fucking tree. That's bad enough, but this is the Tree of Woe. Conan fights off death long enough for Subutai and Valeria to find him. However, Conan hovers near death, and his friends seek the help of Akiro to keep Conan among the living. The wizard summons spirits to heal Conan and warns Valeria that the spirits will demand a heavy price for their services, something that Valeria is willing to pay. The spirits attempt to take Conan, but Valeria and Subutai fend them off. As a result, Conan is restored to full health. Conan still desires to complete Osric's quest, but this time Subutai and Valeria agree to join him. The trio infiltrate the Temple of Set. They interrupt the cult as they engage in a cannibalistic orgy. The trio attack Doom's cult and abduct the princess. Doom transforms into a large snake and slithers away before Conan can confront him. As the thieves ride away with the princess, Doom shoots Valeria with a stiffened snake as an arrow. Valeria is more. Was that a euphemism? <laughs> sure. <laughs> or maybe it was an aphorism. I don't know which way. Well, but you saw how he had to rub the snake to get it hard. <laughs> well, more than three times in, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. So, but immediately when they pulled it out, it was soft again. Uh, Valeria is mortally no. wounded and <laughs> dies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Valeria is mortally wounded and dies in Conan's arms, more than willing to pay the ultimate price for Conan's life. Conan has her cremated on the mounds, where Conan, Subutai, and Akira prepare to battle Doom and his approaching forces. Conan begs for help from his, go his god, Krom. Conan and his friends use booby traps and the surrounding terrain to overcome overwhelming forces. They successfully kill all of Doom's forces. During the battle, Conan is nearly killed by Doom's lieutenant, Rexor. But Valeria reappears for a brief moment as a ghost Valkyrie to save him. After losing his men, Doom attempts to shoot a stiffened snake at the princess. It's weird how he's always shooting at, at the women. That's all. <laughs> he's, he's not a very uh, uh, menacing villain. He, yeah. he's, he's like the Dr. No. Yeah, this if we were doing symbolism and hidden meanings, I think you might play around with that one. But uh however, the princess is saved by Subatoi Tai, who blocks the shot with his shield. Doom flees and returns to his temple. Conan recovers his father's now broken sword from the body of one of Doom's men. I think it's now a dagger, officially. Yeah, I would say so as well. Conan and Princess Yasemina sneak back into the temple. Yasemina is no longer under Doom's spell after he failed to attempt to kill her. Doom is addressing the members of his cult when Conan sneaks up behind him. Doom attempts to mesmerize Conan by embracing him. Conan resists the mind control and uses his father's broken sword to behead Doom. Their leader dead, the cultists begin to leave the temple. Conan ponders his next move and then burns down Doom's temple and returns the princess to King Osric. The film ends with an older Conan sitting on his own throne, wishing for the days of adventure. And that is Conan the Barbarian. All right. Wait, there's more? No, that's it. Oh, okay. And then, of so course... It's a tale for another time. Another time. And and the the chick, she was also in Xanadu. Sandel Bergman? Yeah. She I was one of those goddess people, lady things, whatever they yeah. were. <laughs> it, it has been a long time since I've seen Xanadu. So you have to be, beg my, or I have to beg my forgiveness that I don't recall that one as well. I, I don't know how in the hell you could forget Xanadu. It's got I, a great roller skate scene though. I, I try every day. Right. That's how the hell I do it. Just a little bit at a time. Okay. Realizing the first step to realizing you have an, a problem is recognizing it. <laughs> I think is watching Xanadu. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> uh, Patrick, how did this excellent film do? I, I, I would say that this has to be like number one at the box office for at least a month, right? Oh, I, I don't think so. No. <laughs> but Conan the Barbarian was released on May 14th, 1982, which makes this the 40th anniversary of Conan the Barbarian. I was released on the same day as The House Where Evil Dwells, a film with Eddie Albert and Doug McClure. And Wrong is Right with Sean Connery was released the same month as Paradise with Phoebe Cates, Rocky Three, The Road Warrior, Dead Men Wear, Don't Wear Plaid, and Chris's all-time favorite film, Visiting Hours with William Shatner and Lee Grant. I don't think uh, I've seen that, actually. Uh, it's a, like a killer in the hospital type of situation. Oh. I remember the poster more than I remember the movie. <laughs> you know, back in the old days, they used to have you go to the store and you could buy like uh, there used to be something where you could buy like a pack and it had a mystery movie poster inside. It was like, you know, it's like an eight by 
10 and it wasn't very big. It's just like a mini one. And it was for kids. And one of the posters that I got was visiting hours, which has a hospital, the profile of a hospital with the windows lit up and the face of a skull. And that I went, wow. great for kids. <laughs> I know, doesn't it? An R-rated movie about a homicidal killer in a hospital. What, what speaks greater than let's let the kids well, watch this. Uh, Conan the Barbarian grossed uh, about $39.5 million at the box office in the United States, about uh, almost $69 million worldwide. It was the 17th highest grossing film of 1982, right behind The Toy, Firefox, and The Dark Crystal, and right in front of Sword and the Sorcerer, Best Friends, and Richard Pryor live on Sunset Strip. Man, Richard it, Pryor was on fire. He was. Two, two right there in the top 20. <laughs> so is that in the top? Yeah, that's still in the top 20. Yeah. Uh, it was the winner of a Golden Globe for New Star of the Year Motion Picture Female for Sandal Bergman. It was nominated for one Razzie, uh, Worst Actor, Arnold Schwarzenegger Lost to Lawrence what Olivier. What are you talking about? That guy emotes like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Lawrence Olivier in Inchon. I don't really know that film. I don't. I never heard of it myself. Uh, I know. I we talked about 1982 and Razzie Awards uh, previously. I can't remember what the film was, but I remember talking about how he won that before. Uh, it's been nominated three times for American Film Institute's uh, lists in 2003 on the 100 Years 100 Heroes and Villains list. Conan was nominated as one of the top heroes. Didn't ultimately make the list. In 2005, in the 100 Years, 100 Scores list, the score was nominated uh, for a score but didn't make the, the final list. And in 2008, uh, in the 10 top 10 lists in the category of fantasy film, uh, the film was nominated but didn't make the top 10, obviously because there was not sufficient little people in the film to actually make it a fantasy film. Were there any little people? Not that I recall, no. Okay, just the kids. <laughs> how, we, how we always talk about fantasy films. It was followed by Conan the Destroyer in 1984 and a remake was made in 2011. Uh, there's been discussions for about the last 38 years, I guess, for a third film in the series starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. It has been called many things from the legend of Conan, Conan the Conqueror. And the last title I heard of was called King Conan. Uh, when it was being pushed into development uh, after Arnold finished his term as governor. So within the last 10 or 11 years, uh, he's been discussing doing Conan again and doing that kind of elder King Conan aspect, uh, but still has not gone into production. That's because he's so busy making triplets. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 66% critics and 74% audience. And that is the numbers on Conan the Barbarian. What did you say the score was again? It was ranked number eight of, some, of something? No. Oh. No, it was nominated for the uh, top 100 scores of all time, but didn't make the list. Because although I have, I don't have a problem with the actual music itself, I didn't think it fit the, the movie. It kind of sounded more like King Arthur-esque to me, where this didn't really, this almost seemed a little bit more dystopian, um, almost Mad Max style set with whatever the world is that they were, the Tree of Woe world. But did you think the score fit this film? I love the score. It's one of the few things about this film that I really, really like. And uh, I have the score on my iPod, and I think it was an outstanding score. I thought it fit pretty well, and 
it's one of the, the most distinct things of this film that I remember clearly. I mean, there's two things I remember is the, the score and uh, Conan's dialogue of what is best in life. And that, that's the two things I remember most. That was just so out of place. He's just sitting on a table with people surrounding him and he blurts that out. I, I will agree to disagree. I thought that was the highlight of the entire film. Well, that's not saying much, but uh, <laughs> it's not. But now, had you seen this in a while? It has been probably, yeah, maybe like 30, uh, maybe 20 years or so. It's been a while. I, you know, I only saw it. I saw Conan the destroyer a lot when I was a kid because it was PG or PG 13. Yeah. It was on the HBO loop. So I caught it many, many times on HBO. And although this was on HBO, I remember this being on HBO. It was R rated. So it came on at night. So I didn't see it as often because my prime HBO watching time was during the day, uh, kind of as my babysitter while my parents were at work. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I only saw this, you know, I saw Conan the Barbarian years after I saw Conan the Destroyer. Um, I didn't, at the time, I didn't like it as much because it was a little bit slower moving. Uh, but, you know, as I got older, I liked, I, I, I actually liked it better than Conan the Destroyer. I think it was a better film. And granted, that's not saying much. Uh, and I had a roommate in the 90s when I lived in San Diego who loved this film. I mean, he watched this film a lot. So I saw it quite often when I lived with Kaz uh, years and years ago uh, because he just was a huge fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And this was one of the films that he really enjoyed. So probably saw it at least once or twice a year for four or five years. Uh, and then maybe... I know I bought them on DVD probably the mid 2000s and watched them around then and haven't touched them since. I don't think I've seen this since the 80s myself. The only thing I really remembered was him killing the snake and boobs, actually. That that was that was all I remembered of this film. And uh, it was just the witch's boobs. It wasn't uh, the other chick. Um, Valeria? Yeah, or Valeria. Oh, there's the, the Vestal Virgin Girl thing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the one I remember most. You know, I remember more nudity in this film than there actually was. I, you know, I think I was just like, at, at the end of it, I was like, why? You get rid of the beheading and a little bit of this nudity. And this could have been a probably a PG film at the time that mm -hmm. would have been accessible to most audiences. There's no swearing or anything that I remember. No. And Arnold loves to say, fuck you. But no. Not in this film. He doesn't say much. Now, would you say this is the film that kind of made Arnold? Yes, I would say that this is, I would say this is, well, I would say that this gave attention to Arnold. Terminator was the film that made Arnold Arnold. Mm -hmm. But this is the film that where an actor and subject material just blended together very, very well. You know, Arnold had done a few films leading up to this, you know, uh, Stay Hungry, the villain, I think, was it Scavenger Hunt? I mean, there was a few films he did. Did you ever see The Long Goodbye? Is that is, is that the Elliot Gould one? Elliot Gould, noir, 1973. Arnold's just randomly in there, and they managed to get him down to his little yellow boxers, I think, or briefs or whatever the hell they were. And I laughed because they made him take off his shirt, pretty much because he was 
ripped, but uh, he had no other purpose to be in that film. But, but that, but I think that was his very first film. Oh, I think Hercules goes bananas is uh, his first film. Oh, well, <laughs> his voice is completely dubbed by someone else. I, I that. forgot about that one. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I think I, I saw long goodbye a long, long time ago. And I think mainly because he was in it and I read something about it. And so I was watching films he was in, uh, but you know, he never, was kind of the the main actor in a film. He was always more supporting or even just almost, you know, a, a background character with very little importance. This is his kind of Arnold as, you know, Arnold that we know him today. And it shows he can carry a movie. It's not the greatest of films, but he definitely has presence the whole time. Correct. I mean, it's, I, I watched Conan the Barbarian because of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not, I am not a Conan fan by any stretch of the imagination. And I read comic books when I was a kid and uh, around this time frame. And Conan was not one of the comic books I was interested in. But this looked like, you know, th this character and this, you know, this actor, it just was made to be together. You know, it just, it, it worked perfectly. And, and I think kind of what makes his, his lack of acting skill at the time, uh, Worse is they said they cast him with James Earl Jones and Max von Sydow. And uh, they're two excellent actors who are pretty much the polar opposite of Arnold. And I kind of, I think that kind of magnified Arnold's acting skills. Although to be honest, they still limited his vocabulary in this film. Yeah. I mean, they played to Arnold's strength, which was his physical presence in this film. Arnold was still learning how to be an actor and certainly didn't know yeah be a, the lead actor in the film and yeah they're casting him off James Earl Jones and Max von Sydow Max von Sydow didn't have but like a five minute sequence in the film and I thought he did okay but James Earl Jones was chewing scenery through the entirety of the film his hair was distracting to me yes so it just, pretty. just just that doesn't look right something looked odd for, about him the entire time and uh with Max at this time, uh, he was in also Strange Brew. So he was making some very interesting career choices. <laughs> I think he was saying, how much money will you give me for that? Man, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, hey, why not? A little and bit don't of... forget Victory. Don't oh, my God. Victory. Which we're going to be reviewing in a few months. Who the hell directed that? That surprised me. Oh, Victory? Yeah. Oh, crap. It was somebody I was not expecting that directed it. I, you know, I want to say, God, was it, it wasn't Richard Donner, was it? Oh, John Huston. Yeah, John Huston. When I think of John Huston, Victory is not his type of film, I would think. But I guess, you know. The end. The end of his career. Take what you can get. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Robert De Niro and all the wonderful films he's been making. Grandpa Thirty Seven, whatever the hell he's on now. Yeah. Well, Robert De Niro and anything past uh, Beyond Heat. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, what did you think of the uh, the his supporting actors in his little? band of robbers or whatever the hell the the fortress wasn't even that difficult to get in they just walked through the back but um 
the the thief whose name I cannot pronounce and you cannot pronounce, and then the non-red Sonia chick. Um, did you like them as backup support? They were fine to me. That you know, like I know Sandel Bergman got a lot of attention. Obviously, she won that Golden Globe, and people paid attention to her for a period of time after this, not for much longer after this. But you know, I, I think by eighty standard, it was probably difficult to find uh, a an actress who fit that physical type who was willing to do her own stunts and had a kind of somewhat athletic athletic ability. You, know, you weren't going to see Meryl Streep or Cher or I'm trying to think of other actresses, you know, kind of around that time frame. Goldie Hawn play that type of role. And so she's like six foot tall, I think. She's tall. Yeah, she's, she, she, she's pretty tall. And, and because Arnold's pretty tall as well. And so, you know, she she was cast for her physicality, I would uh, assume. And she didn't do a bad job. I don't want to like poo poo her performance or any of the supporting actors performances. I mean, I would say it wasn't much like Arnold. It didn't require great acting. You know, she wasn't doing a lot of emoting throughout the entirety of the film. She had to swing a sword and she had to be able to fight with a sword because she and Arnold couldn't didn't have stunt men or women for them because just the way they looked, they couldn't find a matching uh, stunt actor or stunt actress to to cover for them. So they had to do their own fights. As as to everyone else, it's like, you know, I like make. Oh, you know, as a Kiro, I mean, he's he's a great character actor. Uh, I enjoyed him in the film. One, the, the the only actor besides Arnold to carry over to the next film, um, and I liked him in that. But the other guy was forgettable. And I, you know, for many years, I always thought it was the same guy uh, that was in Conan the Destroyer, the kind of wimpy guy, and it's it's not. And mm -hmm. you know, I always, I always confuse that because he's he's forgettable. Yeah, I thought as a trio they were they're all right as well, um, but I I enjoy the Conan the Destroyer group better. Well, they, they they're funnier. Conan well, the that could be yeah. Yeah, Conan the Destroyer. First of all, Arnold speaks a lot in Conan the Destroyer, and he's you know there's there's levity to it, which there isn't as much levity in Conan the Barbarian, as much as it's an action film and it's a long action film. It's not filled with a lot of action. I mean, there's a lot of progressing the character to a point to, to, you know, to explain his backstory of who he is when he finally starts running into conflict with Doom as an adult. There was a lot of exposition. Yes. <laughs> a lot, a lot of the the wheel of Doom. A lot of him learning, um, stooping, uh, whatever. When he was just studying, he had a little. A uh, crowd of people. That was where he gives her his little, whatever that was, pelt, cope thing, and then immediately takes it off her. I'm like, what? What? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it, when you think of the, the this the film, and you know, and John Millius is such a you know kind of a, aggressive action guy as far as a, a director and a writer uh, that you know you, there's there's certain things you know he just wanted to see in the film and. Conan being essentially put out for stud to raise little Conans, um, you know, with whatever women the the people ha have. So they have these, you know, offspring of this giant virile man. Uh, 
you know, I, I can just see John Milius saying how he wanted that in the film because that does nothing to progress the story. No. Nothing. At all. It, it just, it's a nice little two minute scene that just shows kind of where Conan come, it, what Conan's experiences are, but it doesn't explain anything later in the film. Doesn't show anything of his true character other than it, it, possibly a sense of humanity because he's, you know, trying to care for her and give her cover right before he has just forcibly has sex with her. <laughs> Please and thank you. That's yes. what Conan's about. Let's talk about some villains other than James Earl Jones, who, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't really do much. He's like, um, he really is like a cult leader has other people do all of his dirty work and he just swoops in and says a few words and then leaves. But what about his, his other two bad guys? They were slightly menacing, slightly comical. I think part of it for me was the one guy looks a lot like Harry Shearer in um, Spinal Tap to me with his big mustache. So that was throwing me, but did you like these bad guys? Uh, who you're talking about is, uh, Ben Davidson who played Rexor with his big mustache. I, I, you know, I didn't really care for him. Uh, the other guy and gosh, and I'm going to, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's been in a lot of films with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I cannot remember the actor's name and I sh- shit. I feel bad for not remembering, but you know, he has bit parts in a lot of Arnold films, mainly because he's size. He's got an intimidating presence as well. He, he matches Schwarzenegger pretty much, you know, pound for pound. And, and so sometimes he'll play the villain or sometimes he's just, uh, you know, one of the background characters playing a heavy. Uh, but he uh, I liked him better. I don't think he said a, a line of dialogue in the entirety of the film. But, you know, I recognized him immediately as like, yeah, I've seen him in probably about, you know, six or seven other Schwarzenegger films. Mm-hmm. I laughed out loud when Arnold was in the priest outfit. I'm like, how are you going incognito? A man of your size trying to pass off as a priest. Well, I, that scene, one of the few things where it was probably played for comedy is this, I'm shy, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to take my clothes off. You know, it just, it's just, it was a, a weird a weird and bizarre scene, you know, played uh, probably played a lot funnier in, in 1982 than it does today. It was almost uh, like he's trying it, to seduce them. Right. No, I know the other guy's trying to seduce yeah. uh, Conan, but you know that he, he, you know, Conan's tried just to trick him out of his clothes. I will say that the crucifixion, what, what was it? The tree of woe, the tree of woe. It, it, this is getting princess bride ridiculous with the names, but, um, the, the crucifixion, it looked pretty accurate historically. They didn't put it through the hands. They put it through the wrists. They um, put the nails through the, the ankles. So I, I liked that. I thought it was pretty impressive. I mean, clearly they, they hid the nails with his little wrist uh, um, bracelet things. But uh, I thought that was a pretty good scene there. Well, until the fake bird came in that he bit with his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that that that's a special effect that didn't age very well. It looks like, oh look, he's being attacked by a Muppet. <laughs> they had to compete with Dark Crystal. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Do you want to talk about John Millius's approach to this film? I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with him at all, but no, I don't you know, know he's, much about he's, him offhand. You know, he's 
the guy, he, he, as a screenwriter, he's behind such things as Apocalypse Now. Um, obviously, this he wrote this with Oliver Stone. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the opening credits. I'm like, what? He, yeah. If you were at, to ask me to pick out an Oliver Stone film that he had written, this would probably be dead last. Yeah. He, um, God, John Millius wrote Red Dawn, um, Apocalypse Now, 1941. He wrote the story for um, Extreme Pre Prejudice, Farewell to the King, a lot of like masculine action films of the 80s. Did he do uh, Rome, that series? He was involved with it somehow. I don't know if he if he wrote certain episodes or he was uh, the showrunner on it, but he was he was involved with Rome in some capacity. I did like that series. He wrote uh, he wrote Magnum Force of the Dirty Harry films. Okay, well then this is definitely up his alley. This is yeah. this would be his wheelhouse for sure. Yeah, and uh, and it, probably his most famous work, you, he didn't get a credit for, but he is credited as writing the USS Indianapolis story, the the scene in Jaws, okay. that uh, that uh, uh, Spielberg went to him and said, "We I need a scene that kind of you know write something," and he and he told Spielberg the story about the uh, Indianapolis, and he said, "That's great, can you write that up?" And so that's where that scene came from. Hmm. Interesting. His two most famous films are probably Conan and Red Dawn. I'm trying to think of anything else that I can think of that he's best known for, but uh, as as a director. But you know, he hit a uh, kind of this you know action oriented, over the top, uh, hard boiled uh, you know masculine type hero, and and that that plays in Red Dawn as well. Is that you know all the all the boy you know actors or characters are you know driven by this you know, this idea of vengeance to, to avenge their father. I think literally you had Harry Dean screaming, avenge me or something. It's just so over the top. Vengeance is a big theme in the eighties, even with revenge well, of the nerds. Exactly. All right. We'll end with vengeance. Let's go around the table. Uh, final thoughts. And does this film stand the test of the time? You know, ultimately, I think it does stand the test of time. It's it, it looks a little dated, got some cheesy special effects. It's over long for what it is. Uh, it spends far too much time uh, trying to justify its own importance. As Matt would normally, the old Matt used to say, it insists upon itself. <laughs> it, you know, just trying to make this, you know, almost epic feel to a simplistic story. And this is, this guy wants revenge to kill for his, the, the death of his parents. And that's all it is. Mm -hmm. And you don't even get into that main crux of the story until about an hour into the film. And although he wants vengeance, he's not on that path to vengeance against doom for quite some time. And, you know, so it's a little bit unsatisfying at the ending, but that being said, it's the best of the three Conan films that have ever been made. You know, it's better than Conan the Destroyer by far. Much better special effects, um, you know, much better uh, story, even though it's kind of strung out and, you know, spread out too far. But it's way better than the 2011 remake with uh, Jason Momoa that it's, uh, even though that has the benefit of modern special effects, I still prefer this one over that one. But I would say it stands the test of time. It, it was it was a nice 
slightly enjoyable watch. Probably won't visit it again for quite some time. I was bored for much of it. Uh, I didn't care for this that much. I, I still like Conan the Destroyer better, actually. But I'm going to say also that it stands the test of time because other than the stupid vulture and there was one other effect that really threw me off. I thought it in general held up well. I thought the scenery, the landscapes, everything was beautiful, especially in the, the digital restored copy that I had. But um, so I'm going to say it stands the test of time. If you like Conan, I think it's just fine. But uh, I probably will not watch this film again, to be honest with you. I watched The Princess Bride. That's better vengeance. I, I, I agree with you. Better vengeance, better film. I find it interesting, though, like, I think of Conan as like of the sword and sorcery phone films of the eighties. And that to me is the, the highlight of the sword and sorcery films is like the apex. Like this is like, this is the big film, but this barely edged out sword and the sorcerer in 1982 at the box office mm -hmm. and sword and sorcerer is a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, that is a horrible, horrible film and horrible story. And it did just about as well as Conan did and did not have nearly as much of a budget. I tell you what, though, if they had not made this film, we may not ever have gotten the film Crawl. Possibly. When it was Crawl, was that, was it, I thought Crawl was like the same year, but maybe oh, I'm I thought wrong. it was 86. Well, I could have fucked up that joke for this wonderful podcast. I, I have to look it up now. <laughs> have you seen that film in a while? No, I hated it back then, yeah. and I imagine I'm going to like it better now. 83. Okay, so it was the year after. All right, well, that's it for our review of Conan the Barbarian. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section, and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com, please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we are on the track for one billion subscribers current count 342 until next time i'm chris and i'm patrick we have to get out of here and you guys are invited liam neeson was in kroll This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at freepd.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is intellectual property of the MHM Podcast Network, Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.